know, people move from homelessness to wholeness. And change is hard. Change is really hard. It's, it's so hard that a lot of people aren't sure that it even is a real thing. You know, there's plenty of people you meet that say people don't really change, right? Exactly. Uh, so, so we're going to talk about change and, and what that's about and what's really the lever of change. Uh, I, I'm a work in progress. This is a work in progress. Sometimes people will, will judge the gospel and the truth of the gospel on the basis of the quality of this fellowship and the lives that are represented, you know, and, and they'll say, oh, church, it's full of these people that are big, you know, that, that aren't perfect. Uh, and somehow that, is, that means that the gospel isn't true to those folks. So anybody experienced that? You know, uh, yeah. And, and Satan is making really good use out of that thing recently to try to tell people that the reason that they've been hurt by church experiences is because th- the things they've been told aren't really true. There's more, there's more truth. Uh, and, and now we're, I'm, you know, we're gonna tell you the, the stuff that they left out. Uh, and so Christianity is really a work in progress. And, and, and so uh, here's, the, here's the more and the extra, and we're going to get into that. And Christi- I just wanna, I'll give you the bottom line up front. Christianity is not a work in progress. I'm a work in progress. We're a work in progress. You know, this is a work in progress, right? Fulfilling, uh, the, the song we sang right before this, right? You know, like the, we're, uh, the gospel being fulfilled among us is a work in progress. But the gospel itself is not a work in progress. Uh, so uh, the folks come to the mission, and they're stuck, there's, there's no progress uh, because most of the things that would have allowed them to make some progress in life, they didn't get. They were just trying to survive their childhoods. Uh, on average, the folks that are in our, our one-year-long addiction recovery program, uh, which, is, which is sort of the middle part of all the stuff we do, so we outreach out on the street, and then we, we have shelter for, for single men and single women and families and kids, and and especially those, those single adults, those are the ones coming off the street for the most part. Uh, our families, our homeless families are coming to us right at the point where they're losing housing or maybe they've been staying in a minivan, um, but rarely do you bump into children in a tent, you know, under the overpass. I have once, once, um, but very rare. Uh, you, so usually the folks coming into emergency shelter are folks that have been living on the street stuck in their drug and alcohol problems and their untreated mental health disorders for often a long time. Uh, on, on average, when they join their, our recovery program, we get to hear their story. And they, most of them started using drugs and alcohol when they were 12. Uh, we have 12-year-olds in this room. Uh, so, and that's the average, by the way. Sometimes it's lower. One of our recent graduates, the sweetest guy, oh my goodness, if you, if you knew him, uh, you would just be so grateful that he's in your life. And he's a really neat young man. He's 29 years old. Uh, AJ started smoking pot when he was nine. Uh, and where did he get his pot as a nine-year-old? Well, he went to his uncle because his uncle had a medical marijuana prescription 20 years ago. And what uncle gives their nine-year-old nephew pot? But that's the family, right? Like, like you wrap your head around that. And, and the reason he went to his uncle is because he already knew enough to know that he shouldn't score his pot out on the street because they lace it with stuff out there. As a nine-year-old, he knew that. Like, when that's, your, when that's your childhood, you're not growing, you're not developing, you're not a work in progress, you're just trying to survive, trying to figure out how you're going to get fed. Uh, I, I climbed right near with a guy whose mom taught him how to smoke meth when he was 12, uh, 
Yeah, his mom. Uh, and, and they were, they, by the time, by that point, he had already been in and out of homelessness multiple times. His parents both had serious drug and alcohol problems. They're both dead now, by the way. He's only 34. And both of his parents are dead. Been dead for a while. Uh, and, and, you know, they'd have to find trash cans to get food out of, him and his brothers. Uh, the, so folks come into the mission, and they're just trying to make it through the day trying to get a, get, get a meal, uh, get their needs met in some way. And what we offer them is the chance to become a work in progress, actually, for the first time in their life. To, to change, to actually go somewhere instead of around the same dysfunctional merry-go-round over and over again until they die. Uh, ima- imagine if that's all you thought life was. Wouldn't that be horrifying? And that would be hor- like, yeah, give me a beer and, and just let me, you know, wait, ride it out, I guess, you know. Uh, I mean, that's, that's just so, so destructively despair-inducing. The opportunity to be a work in progress is the offering of the gospel. That because of forgiveness and a relationship with God in Jesus Christ offered up front by grace because we couldn't earn it, we couldn't merit it, we blew it when we had the chance and if it wasn't Adam or Eve, it would have been me, guaranteed. And if it wasn't me, it would have been you, <laughs> guaranteed. You know, we, we had it, we blew it. You know, like, so, so God offers us this relationship with God in Jesus Christ up front by the work he's already done and accomplished in the, in, on the cross. We, and we can't add anything to it because we couldn't have fixed it in the first place. And so this, this is the great and amazing thing is that in the gospel, we're offered an opportunity to change, to actually change. And change is hard. It's really hard. So I want to give you a, a secret that I've learned along the way. The gospel only changes us if we don't change it. This is super important. Like this is the, yeah, write this one down. Uh, the gospel only changes us if we don't change it. Right? Like, like, put it on your refrigerator, put it, uh, you know, write it all over everything that you own. Um, seriously, every one of you guys, all of you younger people, all you older people, you know, the gospel only changes us if we don't change it. And let me unpack that a little bit, tell you what I mean. Um, John, 1 John 2, 24 uh, it is, it is this tiny little spot. I mean, it's it's First John two anyway, right? You know, so it's 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 a small book. It it it's not got a ton of stuff. But in First John two twenty four, uh, John says, "As for you, see that what you've heard from the beginning remains in you." So so let's pause there for just a second. As for you, see that what you've heard from the beginning remains. So the calling here is to have received this great good news about a different life that I could have in Jesus Christ and to not change it, like to, to let it remain. You know, so see to you that, that, that what you've heard from the beginning remains in you, and if it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And in that relationship that we're given by grace up front, we change over time. As long as what we heard from the beginning remains. And we don't go tweaking it and changing it. And, and uh, so the, I think uh, this remain language has just been so jumping off the page for me. Um, John, John 15, 
You know, it is it's this you know beautiful and amazing passage about remaining in the Father. You know, because you know I'm the vine, you're the branches, and you need to remain in me because apart from me, you can't bear any fruit, can't do any of those good works that I've prepared in advance for you to do. No, and the whole thing about John 15 is about remaining. And how fruit, the fruit, like, like something new, something different comes about, not because of all this you know, great stuff I've done, but simply because I've stayed in something. It, isn't that a little counterintuitive? You know, like if you, you think to yourself, if your life is gonna be any different, then you're gonna need to do a bunch of things, Right? But, but actually, the message is if your life is going to be any different, you're going to need to stop doing a bunch of things. <laughs> you know, the Romans 12 that got read for us earlier, uh, you know, in view of God's mercy, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to offer yourselves as sacrifices. <laughs> you know, just climb up on the altar and let the thing kill you. Let it put your old way of living to death. Don't conform any longer to the ways of the world, the patterns of, you know, the, the things, the ways that you used to do stuff. And instead, be transformed. Like, be the recipient of the transformation by God renewing our minds. And then you taste and you see and you realize and you discern how good and pleasing God's will is. And so the process is, like, I look at how great and amazing and good God is in view of God's mercy, and I just offer myself to God and stop doing the dumb stuff that I've always done and just stay there. Remain there. And after a while, I start thinking differently. And after a while of that, I start seeing how brilliant God was the whole time. Oh, I finally taste, but that discernment, that's at the end. The reason we're supposed to climb up on the altar and stop doing stuff is because of how good God is. He says, because of that, let me have my way with you. And if you can stay there and not bolt off and do things the way you used to do stuff, you know, all that, if you can just stay there, then what you'll discover is you change. Not because you did a bunch of stuff, but because you stopped doing a bunch of stuff, because you trusted God. So the gospel changes us, but only if we don't change it, only if we stay there. And I think the great challenge for us always is to keep letting the gospel be the fixed point. To keep letting the gospel be the anchor, the thing that doesn't change, right? The thing that doesn't, when I'm faced with a new difficulty, when I'm faced with something that I, a loss or a tragedy, and, and I've, I've experienced the faithfulness of God and the kindness and the goodness of God up to this point, but this, this is further, this is harder, this is scarier, this gets more at the core, this threatens a loss or I've experienced a loss that leaves me with a life and a self that I'm not sure I know what to do with. It's at that moment, right, that we're gonna be tempted to wonder if God is really everything that I already experienced him and thought him to be. And so the great temptation for us is to make sense out of life by adapting the truth to my circumstances instead of adapting to the truth. 
there's, this has been helpful for me at least. Um, there's a guy, uh, uh, oh, 100 years ago, I think literally 100 years ago, this German guy named Heinz Kohut, uh, and he was, a, he, st- he was studying learning. Uh, he was a child development psychologist, and he came up with this theory. You're nodding. You know about Kohut? No, you're just nodding because you're following along. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I thought you knew. Okay. So anyway, Heinz Kohut, um, German, German child development psychologist. And, and he, he, this was his theory. He said, learning doesn't occur. Kids don't learn anything new. Learning does if everything they already knew was good enough to solve the problem. So if everything I already have and everything I already am and everything I already know is good enough to address the problem that's in front of me, then do I need to learn anything? And the obvious answer is... No, right? Exactly. So no learning occurs. So he said, if things are too easy, then no learning occurs. But if things are too hard, then no learning occurs because people give up. And so Kohut says that learning occurs in, this, in a zone in the middle that he called optimal frustration. The zone of optimal frustration, where there's, there we're starting to experience frustration because everything we have, everything we are, everything we know isn't enough. And, fr- and we experience frustration. But, but the, the thing resolves, the learning resolves before, we, before the child quits and gives up and can't figure it out, right? And, and so this has helped me so much. And I told you, like, God doesn't need our help, right? God doesn't need my help helping homeless people. God lets me help homeless people because I need his help and I need their help. I am a different and better man because God brought me to to missions to work. At the mission, we joke that the mission runs programs for our clients, but the mission is the program for the staff. And, And in that way, all we're doing is inviting people into the same journey we're already on. God's changing us. He's working on us. We're works in progress. We're inviting you to finally get to become a work in progress too as God is working in you to help change you, right? Because he's working in us to change us. It's like the mission is the change bus and we're on it. We're not driving it. Jesus is driving it. And everybody on the change bus gets changed. And we're just, we're the folks, we're the kids at the door, you know, opening the door and saying, hey, there's more room on the change bus. Want to come on? That's all, all we're actually doing is inviting people on the same journey that we're already on, of God working on us and changing us. And so, oh my goodness, I had no idea the degree to which my spiritual journey would be so advanced by having to walk with folks that aren't sure that change is possible, that God is good, that love is real, Because to them, love was just that trick that their abuser played on them to keep bringing them back. And when God made you to love, to love God, to love your neighbor as you love yourself, to have the joy and the love of Christian fellowship, when God made you for love, and you don't think love's a real thing anymore, There's no drug in the world that can numb that pain. I had no idea how much it would change me to get to walk with people who need change so much. I had no idea how much change I needed. I have a friend who um, struggled with a chronic condition um, 
and for decades. And, and we were talking recently, and he finally just sort of got to this point where he blurted out the cry of his soul, which is that I've been asking God to, do, to fix this in me for decades, and he hasn't. Why should I trust him? Okay, we're in the zone of optimal frustration now. And so if, if you think of it like a, as a gauge, right? So, you know, here's where it's just so easy, there's no frustration. Uh, and then it, it, at some point, like the frustration hits because I'm, I'm, everything I am, know, and do isn't enough. Uh, and then, you know, and the frustration is building and building and building and building. If this is the point where it's just too much and we quit and we give up, right? this is the point where we say, well, God isn't trustworthy. There's the answer. Because the, the, the distress of, of be- believing a thing that I'm not experiencing is so great that my brain wants to resolve that stress. I got to bring something into alignment with observed reality. And so he says, I've been praying to God for decades. God hasn't fixed this. Why should I trust him? Uh, and and that, that's okay. All right. The, if we're honest, can, and I hope that we are, because if we're living in the light of truth, uh, then we should have no fear of speaking the truth as long as we do it in love. Um, like, all change comes out of places in crisis. All change in us comes and happens in times and places where we're just really not sure at all how this thing is going to work out. And if it's going to work out in a way that we're going to be okay with at the end, and if it doesn't work out in a way that we're going to be okay with in the end, are we going to be okay? Am I right? You know, anybody who's lived long enough to have grandkids, you know, um, that means that you've got kids and your kids are adults and, you, and anybody with adult kids and you, like, you know what, I, you know what I'm talking about. You're watching your kids' lives and you're like, okay, I don't know how this is going to work out. I can't, they married that person? Or, 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 you know, like, I, we've got a grandkid now and they didn't marry that person. All kinds of stuff, you know, all kinds of stuff. And, and up all the way through until now, I have known and believed and seen in the trustworthiness of God. But this... This is pretty hard. Can I trust God with this? And if I can't, then I don't change. Because what I did was I changed my beliefs about God. The gospel only changes me if I don't change it. If I keep choosing to believe that even though I don't know how this works, even though, even though it might be that, that every worst possible outcome by human definitions actually occurs. Stuff happens in the world that is bad. It might be that every bad thing that I actually am afraid of comes to pass. And I am going to continue to believe that God is good. And that God is so good that the only rational response is to climb up on the altar and sacrifice myself. I'm going to continue to believe that. And that's going to change me in those times. 
It, uh, it might be that I've been okay at obeying God and doing what God wants me to do uh, in my life, uh, but, but now there's this temptation. And I know, that the, I know that the Bible says this, that, or the other thing, but man, that does not seem like a very sound plan for getting through this week or this day or this moment or, or a life for myself that I actually sort of want. And what will I do? Will I change the instructions or will I change to meet the instructions, to follow the instructions, right? So all the kids in the room, you know, everybody, all the adults in the room, uh, you know, the instructions haven't changed. God hasn't changed. The truth hasn't changed. Part of what makes something the truth is that it doesn't change. God still actually expects people to not have sex until they get married. <laughs> yeah, he actually still really doesn't believe me. Yeah, that's legitimate. That hasn't changed. Uh, you know, God still actually expects us to do all kinds of things. Uh, you know, he actually expects you to love your neighbors yourself. He actually expects you to submit to one another in love, to speak the truth in love. He actually expects you to love your enemies. He actually expects you to do that. And when you're confronted with that crisis where you're like, I don't know how to love my enemies. Everything I already am, know, and do isn't enough to pull that one off, God. Then I'm in the crisis. I'm in the zone, right, of optimal frustration. What's gonna change? Am I gonna let change the standard? Uh, you know, God, of course God wants us to love our enemies, but this doesn't really apply because this situation is, you know, blah, 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 blah. You never do that, do you? I do, I, you've never done that? The, you know, the figuring out a way to make it not apply because of some particular, you know, thing, you know, oh my, I am such, I can get so, I can get it so complicated uh, my, my justifications can be like a labyrinth, you know, a rat warren of, of little tunnels of ideas. And uh, of, of course we have to love our enemies, just not that enemy. <laughs> right? Of course we have to pray for those who persecute us and treat us despitefully, just not those. Those ones I'm allowed to resent. You know, because if I didn't resent them, then that would be an injustice. I'd be, uh, you know, ratifying their injustice or something. You know, all the things that we tell ourselves. But God actually expects us to do that stuff. But he also knows that we can't. And so if you think about that, it's like all of Christianity is essentially a journey into the zone of optimal frustration. Like the whole thing. Like, the, like following Jesus is this relentless pursuit into the, into the zone of optimal frustration where everything that got me to today is not enough for what happens this afternoon and I have to take this next step of trusting and obeying and living into and, and, and meditating on the goodness of God that is so glorious and so compelling that I would choose to sacrifice again and climb back up on the altar I just climbed off of and as I was getting ready to maybe go back to the patterns of the world that I know I shouldn't go to and yet, you know, like, like it, it, every day. Every day is this relentless journey into the zone of optimal frustration where I am not enough. But that's the only way and the only place we're ever gonna learn that God is enough. As long as I'm enough, what do I need him for? And so he's constantly taking us to these places where I'm not enough, my faith isn't enough. And then he says, okay, will you let me give you some more? 
And so in the, that gauge of optimal frustration, you're like, like okay, I'm, this is where it's easy, and then this is where people give up, and this is where it just pegs out, right? Uh, well, what if you believed that you don't have to be enough? What if you believed you didn't even have to have an answer? What if you believed that you didn't actually even have to solve the problem? Because it was already solved. And you just don't know the answer, but that doesn't mean that the answer isn't there. It's just you don't know it. And that the answer is good even if it feels bad. What if you believe that? Where would the dial go for that max top level, right? Would well, push up some more. And if, and if I had all the faith and the relationship with God that I want, I know that I, I really do want, there would be no top end. There would be no give up point. There would be no point that, I, that he couldn't take me to. No thing that I would be afraid of. So I was in a small group recently. I asked this question of the folks in my small group. You know, what is it that you're afraid of that would happen or not happen if you let God do with you whatever he wanted? If you actually let God do with you whatever he wanted, anything, whatever he told you to do, whatever the, you know, the, what, the, 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 that God is wanting you to do, if you actually let him do that, what are you afraid might happen or might not happen? That was a powerful conversation where we admitted you know, that we, we love God, we trust God, we believe in God, and yet we also want what we want. And we know that those two things aren't in alignment. Like we can't have God and what we want all the time. Because we know that some of what we want just isn't good for us and it's not gonna make us grow. We, we know that we need to be led into the zone of optimal frustration where we don't know how to fix anything and we don't know what's happening. And the only thing we're left with knowing is that there is a good God who has already proven that in Jesus Christ. And that's it. And like, that's all we know. We know we need that because that's the only way we're gonna change. We just don't like it. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? Am I, am I, am I the only one? Okay, she's nodding. She's still nodding, so apparently we're good. Uh, yeah, thank you. You know, uh, I, I can't be the only one. And, and so that's where, that's where I go back to saying, oh, God. See, there's, that's what needs to change. What needs to change is that what I'm wanting to get out of life becomes God. As, as he pushes up, right, on the, on the needle, what he's really doing is he's stepping more and more in to that zone until he's all I need. And I might not get anything else, but if he's all I need and I don't get anything else, am I okay? Yeah. Yeah, I am. And so much of this stuff of life is us learning that we don't actually need what we thought we needed. We don't actually need answers. We don't actually need things to work out right. We need God. <laughs> and and that's, the, that's the learning. Like that's the real learning. The real change is that I, I, I start realizing that what I really want out of life isn't anything that life can offer. 
What I really want out of life is God. And I keep letting him take me into places where I learn that over and over and over again. And that's called change. So, you know, we run a mission and we help people get off of drugs. And should they get off drugs? Absolutely. But why should they get off drugs? Because God's got a great plan for them and wants to do neat things with their life, right? Does that mean God needs their help? No. God wants to, to open up more and more and more of himself to them. And that's not possible while they're impaired. Yeah. God wants them to get a job. Why? Because God's got neat stuff to do in them and, and because God wants to show them how cool God is for all the neat things God's put inside of them. You've got gifts and talents and, and when you get to do them and use them, kids, what, what God wants you to do is see how cool God is that he gave you those gifts and talents. Like, because did you give them to yourself? Did you go find like a cabinet in the kitchen where you, you found the gifts and talents cabinet and went and got some gifts and talents out of there? You know, no. Well, where'd they come from? So God wants to do things with you and let you use your gifts and talents because it makes you say, wow, God is so cool that he, he made me able to do those things. It's, it's really neat. So there's all kinds of things God wants to do with our folks at the mission. Um, there's all kinds of things God wants us to do, God wants to do with us. Um, so I just want to tell you this thing and, and trust God. Trust God. Don't change the story. Don't change the, the truth. Let the truth change you. It's his movie. It's his plot. It's, it's not about us. It's about him. And, and it's, what's amazing is that we find ourselves in him in the process, by getting over us, ourselves, you know? It's, it's his movie, it's his plot. There is no such thing, and this is especially for you younger folks, there is no such thing as progressive Christianity. It doesn't exist. Christianity is not a work in progress. If you change the gospel, what you're left with isn't Christianity anymore. So Christianity has no update feature. It's not like, my, not like the software on my phone that updates all the time, you know? Christianity doesn't update. And, and, but, the, but this is why, because it only changes us if we don't change it. Jesus is the full, complete, and final revelation of God in his life and in his death and in his resurrection. And if there's anything left to add, if there's any new updates, if there's anything like, okay, yeah, but then that, you know, that, that's fine and that's good, but this is also true on top of it, then it wasn't full and it wasn't final and it wasn't complete. And if it wasn't full, final, and complete, then it couldn't do what we needed it to do, which was create a way for us to be forgiven and get onto a path of becoming a work in progress and being changed by an unchanging truth. If it's a changing truth, then it's not changing me anymore. I'm just changing it to make it what I want it to be, which is really convenient, but then all I've done is I've slipped back down into the zone where, okay, everything I know and believe is already good enough. And I've resolved the conflict. And so anybody who's on the internet, you're going to be, you're going to bump into videos of people telling you that, um, well, that thing about the Bible, that doesn't actually mean what you're, you know, what you thought that it meant. It really means this other thing. And, and Christianity is really great. And that's why we should change it in this way or something. Because, it, because, you know, our learning of God is a work in progress. 
And so our expressions of what we know about God should grow and change over time. Except that the only reason we know anything about God is because God told us. <laughs> it is true that my, my apprehension of the truth of God grows and changes over time. But it is not true that God changes. He's unchanging. And the gospel only changes me if I don't change it. So one last thing, my, one of my favorite passages is when, G, when Jesus compares himself to a home invasion robbery, because uh, I'm, I'm an old soldier and so I, I gravitate towards the violent parts of the Bible. Uh, and because that's where the action is, right? If it's his movie, I want it to be an action movie at least. Uh, and, and so Jesus is accused of casting out demons because, by the power of being their boss. Well, they obey you because they work for you. That's why they obey you. So you know, casting, him you know, coming and casting out demons is not because he's the son of God. It's actually because he, say, he's, he works for Satan. And he's in the hierarchy and they obey him because he's their boss. And Jesus replies and he says, you guys are so dumb. Uh, you know, can, a house divided against itself you know, can't stand. Uh, it, no one can... No one can can take the strong man's stuff unless he first binds up the strong man. Then he can go into the strong man's house and take all of his stuff. And, and imagine that for a second. Imagine that. So Jesus goes into Satan's house, kicks the door open, zip ties Satan to a chair, and, and then like backs up a moving van. Beep, beep, beep to the front of the house, right? And his workers get out and they come around to the back of the, they undo the overhead door and they grab the, the loading ramp and they pull it out right up to the, the, the lintel of the front door, you know, just lay it right there. Uh, and they start hauling out all the furniture. And Satan has to sit there and watch. This is the image that God has created. He doesn't say, he, you know, nobody can plunder a strong man's house unless he first kills the strong man. He says he binds the strong man. He wants his defeated enemy to watch everything that he thought was his be plundered by God. So that, and that is so awesome. <laughs> I love it. And, 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 and what we get to do at the mission, right, is, and you know, and you can imagine in a house, like there's things that are obviously that seem that they're, they're pricey or whatever, uh, you know, and they, they wrap the, the art in bubble wrap as they're moving it out and they, you know, they cover the furniture and they try to make sure they don't get stained and you've, you've moved, you know what I'm talking about, right? But this is the amazing beauty of God that, that now the house is empty, right? And Satan's still zip tied to the chair, and Jesus had been standing there watching the whole time. And he hears this voice from the kitchen. And somebody's opened up the, the kitchen sink. And, and, and they've pulled out the trash can. And they say, boss, we get this too? And Jesus says, what did I tell you? And he said, well, you said everything. Right? Is that part of everything? That's okay, it's part of everything. We'll get this too. And at that point, the worker looks down and realizes that the trash can isn't full of trash. It's full of people who just thought they were trash. Jesus wants everything because there is no part of your life that is trash to him. There's nobody in your community that is trash to him. There's not one disposable human 
They don't exist. If progressive Christianity doesn't exist, then disposable humans don't exist either. And so some of you are praying for somebody in your life right now who is lost. It just has to be true by the virtue of, I'm not claiming prophetic gift or anything. It's just like there's enough people in the room. It has to be true. As long as they are breathing, there's hope. I don't have to see the path. I don't have to know the answer. I know the one who wrote the path and who is the answer. Don't give up. Let the pain of, of waiting change you and deepen you. It only changes you if you don't change it. Don't give up. And some of you, you can feel like you've allowed things to get too easy for you. You know it. You're a little worried about what you know, God would do if you actually just let him do whatever he wanted. But you know who I'm talking to. I don't. I don't but in a room this big, that's gotta be true of somebody. Let him take you out to the place beyond where everything you knew, everything you are, and everything you already thought isn't enough. So that he can grow in you your awareness of how faithful and trustworthy and good and powerful and loving and kind is God, our Savior. Change is hard, but because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, change is real. And we get to be on the change bus. If you want to come down and join us at the Union Gospel Mission and get to experience some of that, we'd love to put you to work as a volunteer. Go to yugm.org because God doesn't need our help, but he does let us help because it sure helps us. And it's helped me a lot too. And and I hope that this has been an interesting and, and worthy use of your time this morning. I'm so grateful every time I get to get invited up here um, to just sort of share with you a little bit about like how, what God's teaching me in the process of, of trying to do what, what we do down there. Um, let's, let's pray as we move into communion because it feels like this is really the setup for communion so much. You know, Father in heaven, you sent your one and only son that whoever believes in him wouldn't have to perish but could have eternal life. And then you didn't just instantly swoop us out of the world and make us disappear into heaven at the point at which we said, okay, Jesus, I love you. Do whatever you want with me. I'll follow. You're the son of God. You left us here to grow and to to do good works you've prepared in advance for us to do and to change. Uh, God, thank you that we are works in progress. Thank you that we aren't who we were before. But God, we feel it that we're not yet who we are to become, not fully. And so Lord, as we come to your table and we take inside our very bodies the symbols of the body and blood of your son, Jesus, God, will you inhabit us in the deepest and fullest way that we would trust you, that our faith would be greater than our fears, that we would obey, yes, even with that, even though it's hard by your power, your strength, your grace, your might, that we would open up and walk the path with others. God, give us in your son, Jesus, what we need. We know that he is everything that we need and that we're just sort of learning that sometimes along the way, that we didn't really need that. We just need you. 
So Lord, thank you for leaving us with communion and telling us to do it so that over and over and over again, we would be reminded that every need we think we have is complete in you. In Jesus' name, amen.